Welcome to the Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm Drew Evans. Well, Drew, obviously it has been a couple of months since we have been on the mics, since the people listening have heard from us. Uh, there's been a lot of interesting developments in the AMTA community, in the broader mock trial world. We are going to get into a bunch of those things on this episode. Uh, but before we get into any of that, if you're listening to this episode, you presumably saw the title. You presumably also have had at least one moment over the last couple of months where you're like, where the hell are Ben and Drew? What are they doing? <laughs> um, you know, what, what on earth is going on with the mock review? So you can see the title of this episode. So, you know, we'll, we'll acknowledge it right off the bat. This is, um, nominally, we'll, we'll get into some, maybe some caveats to that, but this is essentially the final episode. Uh, of the regular podcast known as the mock review. Uh, we've been discussing this a lot over the last several months. Obviously last season, you know, we launched our Patreon and we were releasing once every two weeks. We had our amazing editor, Michael, who we were working with, but our circumstances have both changed a lot. Drew, of course, is in his third year of law school. I'm not really coaching at all at the AMTA level anymore. And we ultimately came to the conclusion that really just didn't make a whole lot of sense to try to continue to do the show in the fashion that we've been doing it for the last, you know, really five years at, at this point. So we're wrapping things up. Um, but Drew, I know that that you've got some thoughts on that and sort of some thoughts on on how the podcast might continue here and there. Um, but I'll kick it to you, your mm -hmm. thoughts on, on kind of us wrapping up uh, at least this iteration of the mock review. Yeah, so I think I, I want to just first say I have had a lot of people reach out, um, some that I, a lot that I knew, some even that I didn't. And, <laughs> um, I want to just start by saying that I don't think we ever imagined no. that this podcast would have the, um, acceptance and support of as many as it has had. Yeah. And it has touched my heart. I know that it is, I, I think it has affected you as well, <laughs> yeah, Ben. It's really absolutely. been a, a cool, and special experience and one that I would never change for the world. I think that as Ben said, like, you know, we kind of, I, I think that as I've grown through this process and being a part of this podcast, I think I, I started out as a competitor who was fiercely involved in the every single waking moment of AMTA and kind of dropped off for a little bit, then came back as a coach. And I'm kind of like somewhere in the middle now, but like, it, it, you know, I think that it's important to also leave a space for new voices. And I think that at least in my mind, I think that knowing when it's your time to step aside is, yeah. is something that, um, around the world, we could all learn a lot from. And I'm trying <laughs> to, you know, I think that this is really something that I'm, I think is all for the best. To Ben's point, I think that, you know, we, we still care about this activity a ton. We care about this, uh, the groups that have formed a lot of our friends uh, that we've made both before the podcast and since doing the podcast. And I have every intention and Ben, I think we both agree on this, that we we will still every so often pop on the mics and, and talk about things when we feel so compelled. Uh, you know, I don't know when or what that will be, but I think that, you know, when, when times calm down in our lives and we have, uh, something interesting to say. We definitely want to hop on and, and say those things. Uh, the main thing is just the, the regularity, the expectation of reviewing every single regional. Um, you're going to have to look elsewhere for that type of content. And I truly hope that someone else chooses to take up that challenge. Um, I think that it is 
it has been a very rewarding process for us, for sure. And I just hope that someone that is maybe more involved than we are, frankly, can can give a a better take than we did. I think throughout the years, we always received a lot of feedback that, you know, why don't you talk more about the Midwest or the West Coast? And maybe someone in one of those regions wants to give this a shot and they can share more thoughts on that than we ever could have. Um, so I really, I just hope that people can take this as um, encouraging for the future of of this activity and of talking about this activity in the podcast form. Um, but I'm really grateful to everyone that has listened and been a part of our journey. And, uh, you know, Ben, I, I can't say enough good things about what working with you has been like. I'll add that, you know, we, we've talked about them a little bit, but our kind of greater team that we added this last year in our editor, Michael, and our social media manager, Kat, they were both amazing and wonderful people. And we really enjoyed working with them. And I'll kind of like lastly say here that I think one of my favorite things we've done is is the Discord. The fact that the Discord, despite the fact that we haven't posted an episode in months, is still alive. People still talk there all the time. Yeah. Um that's really cool and really special to me. And um, you know, I I, I think we're gonna completely open it up, obviously with the the podcast ending. If you wanna come and join the Discord, you know, we're 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 just kind of, we'll let everyone in. There's no yeah. like bars to entry anymore. Yeah. Um, but please come join. We're still having lots of fun conversations there. It's still a lively meeting area. And, uh, yeah, just in closing, I'm, I'm proud to have done this and, uh, grateful to you, Ben, for including me in it and to everyone for listening so regularly. Yeah. I really echo a lot of those thoughts. I, I certainly right back at you with just the, the pleasure and the joy it's been over the last several years of working together. You know, this is really has been an equal partnership or we've worked hard to, to build something that I think has made a lasting impact. Um, maybe at the very end of this show, we'll, we'll talk about a few stats and stuff like that. But, um, I, I echo all of those things. I also really want to send a huge, 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 huge thank you to the group of people who were, uh, paid patrons for the year that we did that. Um, the only reason that we were able to sustain the level of episodes that we did for that period of time was because we were able to pay our editor, Michael, and our social media manager, Kat, which uh, just allowed us to operate at, I think, a really, really high level for for over a year, you know, doing episodes every two weeks. And and I'm just so, so grateful to everyone who, who you know, gave between two and five bucks a month of their hard-earned hard -earned, uh income to do that like seriously that means the world to me a lot of good friends of mine uh in the community did that and and i know the same for you as well drew and, and we're just so 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 grateful uh for that uh the only other reflection that i'll offer um and i think we're going to get into a couple other topics uh in this episode uh is you know the, the thing about this podcast i i, I love what we've done with this podcast. Really, truly, I do. I am incredibly proud of so many of the different episodes that we've done. Um, I love the transparency that we've brought to things like the board meeting, which, you know, we'll get into, can sometimes be lacking on transparency. I think that our episode on the 2019 final round um, holds up extremely well, even just a couple of years later, and is by far still to this day our most heavily downloaded episode. Uh, but I think what I loved most about doing this is just getting the chance to acknowledge how much fun this community can be, right? Like I think back to the episode we just did, just did our most recent episode with Travis Harper and what a joy it was to talk to them about everything they accomplished. Obviously, when we started this podcast, if you had said to me, Drew, you know, hey, Ben, while we're hosting this podcast, UMBC is going to win a national championship, I would have been like, cool, you're a crazy person. I'm not sure I want to do a <laughs> podcast with you. Um, 
And so we've just had such a cool journey. And that's because of the people in this community, the friends that you and I had going into this, the friends that we've made along the way. Um, I'm trying not to say the real podcast is the friends we made along the way, but that's, <laughs> that's what I really want to say. Um, but I just echo all your thoughts, Drew. And I think that, you know, look, we're not going to promise anything related to episodes. There's a good chance you might not hear from us for another year, but we both like to talk. We both like to talk about mock trial and the infrastructure exists. And so I agree with what Drew was saying. While the podcast is ending and we would love for someone else to step up and create a podcast, you know, do their own thing, whatever it is, like, you know, we like talking about mock trial and you can, I imagine the universe is only going to be able to keep us away from doing that for, for so long. So we'll, we'll see what happens in the future. And look, it sounds like people like listening to us. So as long as you're listening, we'll probably keep talking at some point. <laughs> I guess that's how we'll put it. Um, yeah. But I, I think that, you know, while this is our last episode, I think that we want to kind of do a little bit of of chatting about this year, this case, um, some of the results. I, I think that uh, to a certain extent, this is maybe in the vein of what future podcasts might end up sounding like. But um, when we kind of try to hop back on, we want to try to review a lot of the high level stuff of what's gone on since then. So as crazy as this sounds, since this our last podcast episode was released. There's a new mock trial case that was out. Um, <laughs> oh boy, there is. Ah, <laughs> uh, wow. And I know that I've been a little bit more involved, I think, than Ben has this year, just kind of coaching the Tulane team and being somewhat involved with the Haverford team, um, kind of helping them out when I can. Um, but I got to say, it is a very interesting case, uh, obviously, with the whole two different defendants and a myriad of charges that you get to choose from um, very much. So a choose your own adventure type of case. And I think that as we always tend to see with cases, some of the initial reactions to the case sometimes have nuggets of truth to them. Sometimes there are things that get proven wrong. Um, I feel like people thought that this was one of the most P heavy cases Amta had ever written. And while I do think that it, there are a lot of favorable facts for the prosecution. I sort of think that as the season has gone on, people have realized more and more some of the strengths that the defense can raise. Um, I've certainly heard and still think there are some prevailing defense theories that are very compelling. Um, we haven't gotten the case changes just yet. I sort of feel like by the time this episode's out, I sincerely hope that case changes have been released. We're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, December 12th. And I think the case changes were supposed to be out yesterday, but it said um, on or about in legal, uh, you know, okay. <laughs> on or about, but, yeah. but I'm just starting the, to stretch the definition of on <laughs> right. or about. Well, certainly the about hopefully is within the time that it takes to get this edited and sent out. Um, but if the case changes are out, then know that I am excitedly pouring over them with you all. But unfortunately we don't have them yet. Um, I kind of just as a random projection, because who knows, um, I expect that there are going to be some significant facts that make prosecuting Poe Cameron more enticing. And I'll just, I'll very briefly say that I think the, the reason why, in my mind, a lot of prosecutions went the De La Porta route, um, is that De La Porta prosecution allows you to maintain control. It's a straightforward, as much as the straightforward cases Amt have a right, in that you're saying they did it, they're saying they didn't. 
The problem with the poke hammer is that because you add in the option of this duress defense, it adds in like so many extra things that the prosecution now basically has to be prepared for in case they argue duress. And you, you almost like the defense would have to have two different cases, one for if they're arguing duress and one for if they don't. And I think that as a result, that makes it very intimidating to take on prosecuting Poe. And so my guess is that we're going to get more facts that that help that side. Um, that's kind of a very like high level version of what type of changes I think we're going to get. Um, ben, I know you haven't seen a, a ton, but I know you most recently were judging at Gampty, and we'll talk about Gampty in a second because I definitely have some thoughts on it. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm curious, like, what did from watching the rounds that you saw, like, what did you think? Are there any glaring concerns that you've had with the case so far yeah so to acknowledge what you just said i have not read this year's case i am not coaching at the amta level i am fully immersed in the law school world um and so i i have glanced through it i am familiar with it enough really just to be dangerous um but i did judge three rounds uh at gamty uh, a couple quick observations related to that first of all um harvard uh still good uh i know that comes what? as a surprise I are know, you sure yeah, I'm pretty sure. Sorry, still good. Um, I, I judged Harvard Duke was a phenomenal round, one of the best invitational rounds I have judged in in recent memory. Uh, so I generally share your thoughts on. Um, so I saw two Poe Cameron defenses, one duress, one non duress, and then I saw one Berkeley De La Porta case. And in the and I'm going to be very vague here because I don't want to. Obviously, I mentioned certain teams that I judge, but I'm not attributing any specific theory to any of those teams. I don't want to give away anyone's theories or anything like that. But in the duress trial, again, I've not read this year's case. And so I did not know that there's this case law that says, okay, if, if the defense claims duress, the process, it does, like doesn't relieve the government of their or the prosecution of their burden yeah. to prove X, Y, or Z. It's a weird case law. I know what it's, you're talking about. It is, it's weird. It is a terrible idea. Um, because the thing is, and I was talking to somebody who, who is involved with AMTA about this recently while I was at GAMT, what happened was I spent, and it's unfair to the prosecution team, and they may have let me know about this at some point, and I may have missed it, but that's the reality of judging. It's unfair to the prosecution team, because I'm sitting here like, why are you talking about this? Mm -hmm. Like, why, mm -hmm. why are you, and I understand why the case law exists, it's to, to prevent duress teams from claiming duress and then doing the thing that slimy teams do where they object the whole time and say, well, you know, we've conceded this. So why are they talking about it or whatever? But the problem is ob obvious. And I'm sure everyone listening is aware of it, which is I spent the whole trial as a judge being like, why is the prosecution talking about this? Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it really has to be if if you're prosecuting Poe Cameron, right? Like, I think it just has to be like they have to choose if duress is an option. I think duress just has to be required. Like I, I actually agree. I think that's I, a really good fix. Yeah. Cause like it, it's one of those things where, you know, or even if it's not required, they're just, they just got to clear that up yeah. somehow, you know, or even if it's not required, I think what it is, is if, if duress is claimed, right? Like you, it has to just be like the, the government has to be completely relieved of their burden to prove anything or I don't know it candidly yeah it goes back to my main thinking about this case which is I don't like dual defendant cases it seems like a perfectly fine case but I, I'm just not a fan of that setup in general um yeah. but I had a fun time judging you know I think it's an interesting enough case and it'll be interesting to see I mean I think 
I don't know this for sure, but I think the reason that the case changes are delayed is because they're trying to figure out some really complicated problems. And there's probably some internal, not disputes, but but disagreements about how to solve some of the issues that we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, I'll say that I think it is, for what it's worth, I think it is a very P-sided case at the moment Um, from just, I don't have the numbers in front of me and they haven't sent out the memo yet, but I expect it's going to be pretty substantially P-sided just from knowing the teams that I've coached and the results and the tournaments that they've been to and the results of those tournaments. Um, I know it, it's been pretty stark to me. And I, I think that what you're talking about, Ben, I, I agree that something needs to be done about this this duress option because it, it doesn't make sense that the prosecution still has a burden because the defense is inherently saying, yeah, I did it. Right. Like, I'm that's guilty. what duress is. It's saying, I did it. I just was forced to do it. So why do you need to prove that they did it? Um, it just, it doesn't make sense. And it, it puts a really, it puts the prosecution in a very weird spot. Now, that being said, I think that the problem with like purely, uh, getting, if you get rid of the case law, the problem becomes that the prosecution is now really stuck where yeah. they have to have two completely different calls. I mean, you can't yeah. even, th- then, I mean, I'll talk about this in the, like, in the abstract of, Someone like Wynn, the DNA expert for the prosecution, is almost, in my opinion, an almost mandatory call for the no duress defense because you need to prove that they did it. You need to prove that their forensic evidence is there, blah, 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 whatever. I think that they are a close, I mean, a really strong witness for that. That witness becomes uncallable. You could easily object out their entire testimony as irrelevant. In a duress case and, or, or if not, this, I mean, they're, you're just the, we're sitting around being like, what are we talking about here? Um, the cross can be two questions and that's not, that doesn't work for mock trial. And I think that it's not fair to the prosecution to where they have to literally have three different calls based on what the defense decides. I think that that's, that's just giving the defense way too much power, in my opinion. And again, will discourage teams from taking the Poe Cameron route. So I agree with you that, that something needs to be done about it. And I, I, I actually think you're probably right that one of the reasons why there are delays is that they, they are trying to figure that out. Um, but I will give some credit. I like the fact that it it is allowing for there to be a lot of variability each round. I mean, the fact that you judged three rounds, Ben, and I'm sure not a single one of them had much in common. Um, is, is pretty unique for mock trial. I don't think that that's a very common occurrence that you would get a different defendant and a different charge in every single round. Um, I will add that like the, the giving a, the prosecution all these different charges to bring, I kind of think is more trouble than it's worth. And what I mean by that is like, I don't, I don't think that teams or judges care that much about like what the actual charges that you're bringing and I'll like I'll give a good example the fact that you can bring a charge of uh the you know unlawful possession and the prosecu- the defense if they're I think especially for uh De La Porta the defense is allowed to just like stipulate and concede that point because like they had the artwork we're not no one disputes that um it, it it's kind of like silly to me then i'm like okay well like why does this charge even exist if we're like okay with them just conceding it uh it just it to me it's like 
it, it just feels very silly. And there's just a lot of charges in there that I think get confusing and get lost and result in judges being like, wait, you're charging them with this. Why aren't you charging? Like, it just creates a lot of confusion in an already very complicated case. So I just think it's a maybe a lesson for the future of like Amta's trying to really put together these complicated fact patterns that can be interesting for an entire year and keep us on our toes. And I, I disagree with you, Ben. I actually really like the devil defendant cases. Um, but I, I kind of, my bigger issue is actually with the, uh, the charges and then the duress, uh, switch stuff. I think that's my bigger issue. So I'll just say a couple general thoughts on this before we move on. I, I, you know, it's not that a dual defendant case can't work, but I, I very much agree with you about the charges. And, you know, I, I'm still the one sort of AMTA thing that I still do is I'm still on the new school mentoring committee. And it's one of my favorite committees. I think it's a really important committee that does a really cool service to the community. And um, I can just tell you from talking to people and just from my own experience being a new coach 10 years ago, it, this when it comes to writing cases that are accessible to newer or less resourced programs, we've just stopped caring. That's like, so true. This we just nobody, nobody spends i mean i'm sure there's somebody on the the case committee who's like thought about it and stuff but this case is completely indecipherable to a new program unless they have some sort of existing access to you know they happen to have a amta experienced coach who can really sit down and drill it through but it is it is not the type of case that a group of college students can sit down and solve and figure out in the way that these programs even student-run programs who are heavily resourced uh, can do. And, and I just don't like that. It's not that we can't have complicated fact patterns. Now we can't, not that we can't do interesting things, but, but it is completely inaccessible to newer, smaller programs. Um, and then the only other thing I'll mention is I will say from the duress perspective, I have given the judge's presentation several times at this, this case, cause I, I, uh, gave it four times for Charm City, um, explaining the duress, ex the, you know, okay, you can't contradict except or you can't invent except for this witness but you can't contradict except for this wit like judges just glaze over yeah and yeah. It, it i i would like for more people who are involved in this process to have given a judge's presentation because some of the questions that i got this year at charm city were like hyper specific and i struggled to answer them because i'm like at a certain point i'm just reading passages of the case to you like oh yeah they're allowed to contradict this but they're not allowed to contradict that when you get to that level it's not effective case writing it just isn't and i understand the concept right under duress you make things up love that idea right but the execution is confusing and i think just needs some some work so i'll be interested to see uh, where the case committee takes it. It's not that it's a bad case. I think some of the characters are really interesting. I saw some fun rounds when I judged at Gamty and saw some really cool character witnesses. Um, you know, I think the confirmation bias expert is stupid. I really hate them. <laughs> I, I saw them a couple. How times. many defense experts have we ever had that you're like, wow, what a rock solid, just like, I mean, come on, the defense expert. What do you Yeah, want? but like, I don't know, like, I didn't think we could get it. I don't know. I, I like, <laughs> I, I heard the confirmation bias expert three times and all three times I was like, this is astrology. <laughs> like, this is just, this is stupid. And I, and it's not the teams. It's not that the teams were great. The witnesses were great. I just, I'm like, why this is, 
this is silly. This is like, we, we've, we're, I think we're down the rabbit hole a little bit on that front. So it's not that I think it's a bad case. I just, just my little exposure to it seems to have some flaws and we'll be interested to see what the committee does with it. Yeah. I, I, I share your, your interest and intrigue about what is going to come. Um, definitely a interesting case. And as we've said and both alluded to a very complicated one with a lot of different avenues to go down. I will very briefly say that, I mean, my first time reading the case, I was like, oh my God, like, what is going on? I mean, it's just, it's hard to follow. Yeah. And I think that I'm glad you brought up the point about the new team, the new schools and how difficult it must have been for them to navigate. I mean, th- there are enough, uh, difficulties with understanding the rules that we have. And it, you know, when we have all these exceptions to it, what's allowed, what's not, I mean, it, it really is complicated and tough. And I'll, I'll mention to people that, uh, you know, because we haven't done an episode since this happened, the CIC issued their advisory opinions um, back in October, I think. And I, I hope people go through and read them because I'll be the first to admit I was pretty shocked by a few of them. Um, and it definitely was something that I had to have some conversations with uh, the teams that I'm associated with. And be like, hey, like this thing that we thought was OK, like might not be like we we need to be careful. Um and we had to make some serious adjustments to it. So I think that, you know, I, to this point about being more accessible to new teams, I totally agree. I think the case could be written a little bit more conducive to that. Um, and I, I just want to remind everyone about those CIC opinions because uh, I, I don't want someone to get into trouble. And I, I, I feel somewhat of an obligation to to make sure people are aware of that's existence and aware that I'm pretty sure that you're expected to know them. Um, so that just is definitely a good thing to, to keep in mind. Um, but with all this being said, I think we want to briefly talk about some results. Um, obviously, you know, Ben, you, you mentioned seeing two excellent, excellent teams in Harvard and Duke. I'm going to get on my soapbox and talk about something that I <laughs> could not be prouder of. And that is the fact that at Gamte, the Haverford team managed to get third place overall. Uh, they went nine and three. They had a three way tie for first with uh, UC Berkeley and UVA, the eventual champions, because obviously UVA rigged it. Um, <laughs> for the record, that's a joke and UVA is a wonderful program. And I just wanted to make fun of them for a second because mock trial confessions seems to like to do that. Um, <laughs> but joking aside, a uh, three way tie. And I can safely say that Ben is surprised as you may have been to win a national championship. I don't think I ever imagined a world where Haverford would be getting third at Gampty. Um, I have always been that program's biggest cheerleader in terms of expecting greatness from them. I told them last year that I thought they had the capability of making it to nationals. They all thought I was full of it. Back in 2018, when uh, we made it to nationals, I said that I thought we had the capability, and we did, and they all thought I was full of it. Um, even I did not expect that. And I am floored with how hard these kids are working with their leadership, with their veteran members. And just the, I've watched some of their rounds and it is amazing to watch because these are the same kids that I've been working with for the last few years. And to see the growth that they've all experienced is beyond rewarding. It is amazing to see. And I just want to shout all of them out. Um, in particular, their three seniors, Cece, Johnny, and Rebecca, they are just, they have been in it 
from the beginning and have just been killing it. And I think they're really starting to see the fruits of their labor and I could not be prouder of them and the rest of the team really too. But um, they're awesome and I'm just elated for them for that result. I'll also say I'm really proud of my Tulane kids. They are working their tail off too. We've had some great results at Tulane um, so far this fall. We're gearing up for regionals and getting excited for it. Um, obviously, we've got the big battle in the Bayou tournament that's going to be really fun this January. So I've been keeping myself very busy um, and could not be prouder of all of the wonderful students that I get to work with. Um, I think that, you know, Ben, I remember back when we first started and I, I always had my skepticism around <laughs> coached programs and coaches. And uh, yeah, I think it turns that, out it's recorded. We can go back and play it. If oh, we have God. To. <laughs> oh, no, we don't need to do that. Um, I, I think what's really funny is uh, I remember like the very first discussion we ever had, Ben, was about going blind. And um, I now am involved with Haverford's team, with Tulane's team, and also with my law school team. And I am ashamed, I, I will admit, I am ashamed to say that all three of them are blind. <laughs> and, and I think it's the right decision. Yeah. So I can admit when I'm wrong, I think going blind is a good thing. Um, and I'll maybe I'll give this asterisk. I think you need to know your people. Yeah, for sure. And, and there are some people that it's not helpful for. I think that I, as a competitor, am one of those people. I think there are others that also they just need to know. And if you're the type of person that's going to spend your Saturday night going through all the pairings and gaming out what you think the results might be, you're probably the type of person that should just look at the results. Like it's 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 not that deep. If you're that invested, just just find out. Like it's okay. Um I was spending two to three hours a night trying to piece together the results when I was uh first doing this activity and didn't know that I could go and look at the results myself. And I think that it was, it saved me a lot of time and a lot of mental stress to just find out. And I'm the type of person where if I found out we lost, it doesn't, it, it makes me care that much more about winning the next one. Um, I now have enough students to know that that is probably more the outlier than it is the norm. Um, and that's not to say anyone's right or wrong, good, bad, just that I think that a lot of people focus on the wrong things and scores can be very, very distracting. So I can admit when I'm wrong, podcast has come full circle. We're back to the beginning and I, I see the merits. So Ben, <laughs> Ben, you, you win that argument. I can't say you win all of them, but I'll give you that one. Hey, look, you know, I, I don't win a lot of arguments these days. So <laughs> that's the, the, the beauty and the, the tragedy of being a mock trial coach is you, you take the wins where you can get them because they're <laughs> sometimes they're hard to find. Um, but no, in all seriousness, congratulations to your Haverford crew. Um, said I was at GMT. I didn't watch any of the rounds, but I know that they played UMBC and, and beat UMBC. And I heard from our coaches, um, Thomas and Natalie, just how they were very, very, very good. Um, and, and obviously we, our two programs have always gotten along really well and had a ton of respect for each other. And I am not surprised at all to hear how well your Haverford team is doing this year. Um, I know, I mean, we two years ago got second at GMT and I know how, how much like literal blood, sweat and tears went into getting that. So to get like that, strong of a result at the nation's toughest invitational or at least fall invitational is such a cool accomplishment for your program um for the whole Haverford team so congratulations to them as well um 
I don't have a whole lot in terms of other results to break down. I just candidly have not followed it very closely. I know there are other accounts out there. Um, I've seen things occasionally from the mock trial AP account that I know does, does a ton of that stuff now. Good for them. I love, you know, when there are accounts out there and, and groups out there who are tracking stuff. I, you know, I still see stuff from mock analysis is my drug. I wonder sometimes if that account ever slows down, if we're going to get a mock analysis is my drug, but it actually updates. Um, <laughs> but I think like that acronym would start to get a little bit. A little bit it's unwieldy a little bit at a certain point. Um, but yeah, I, I, it'll be very interesting to see. Like I said, literally my one contribution to this conversation is wouldn't be shocked at all to see Harvard manage to make a third national final round because I saw them and they were fantastic. And I don't want to discount the Duke team they played because Harvard did win my ballot, but Duke was also really stellar. But that Harvard team is just elite. They're so good. Obviously, you know, Travis moving on is a huge loss for them, but they still retain a good portion of their talent. So that's kind of my extent of the contributions. Um, but I think obviously with, with January and February rolling around real soon, like it will be a very, very interesting year. Um, and you know, we haven't had a chance to talk about this at all on the podcast, but now what will be returning to Chicago for nationals four years after we should have been in Chicago for nationals right before the world shut down. And it will be really cool, uh, regardless of what happens to end the amp to season in Chicago, like we were planning to four years ago. Yeah, definitely a, a nice full circle moment. And, uh, and I love that excited for everyone to get to go out to Chicago finally and, and get to have nationals there. Um, I'll mention just because you kind of talked about the Harvard team a little bit. I think we would be crazy to be sleeping on on UCLA uh, yeah, I mean obviously oh, sure. like they they won it and there's good reason um and they are returning a vast majority of their team so I think that uh I, while it's you know kind of cheap analysis to say oh I think that the two teams that made it to the final <laughs> round last year are still pretty good um but yeah they're they're still pretty good um did, Drew did you see the results at Ampty this year uh, I can't say that I have, but I can go and look at them while it, you're asking me this question. It, it is Berkeley, UCLA, Berkeley, UCLA, Berkeley. Well, that shocks me. I mean, yeah. it's not like they're any good. Yeah. And then Santa Barbara honorable mention, but I just love like the symmetry when you look at the tab summary, it's just like one, then the other perfectly down the list. That just seems like what being on the West coast has to be like. Yeah. You're just like, Oh, okay, cool. Oh my gosh. Really? UCLA and UC Berkeley are good. Who knew? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's. Not a shocking result to me and definitely a funny one to look at. Wow, that is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at it now. That's <laughs> hilarious. Um, I mean, I'll say this, you know, Berkeley is one of those teams where they could definitely be a final contender. I mean, they were really good last year and then their A team kind of slipped up at Orcs and didn't quite make it. And so they sent some hybrid team to nationals, but I mean, they just got second at, at Gampty and I think from what I've heard, it was extremely well-deserved. They're returning a lot of strong members. I mean, God, I just, I'm forever glad to not be at that West Coast Orcs. I think that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. I just um, pulled up Cowtown while you were talking. Oh, yeah. Uh, in order, Stanford, Stanford, Stanford. Stan I mean, geez. Stanford lost one ballot across three teams the entire weekend. That is amazing. I just, yeah. yeah. Being on the West Coast just yeah. seems I'm like good. an absolute nightmare. Yeah. And No, thanks. Thank you for, for staying out there, please. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I, I think that I've made this comment in the, uh, mock review discord and I'll, I'll just share it here now since I have a platform and why not? 
I think that a solution that we have never proposed that I think would be really cool would be to say, and sorry to all the big programs out there that are going to literally hate my guts for saying this, but I think that you should require D, E, F, however many beyond C. If you have a DEF team, they have to go to a regional that feeds into a different orcs than your A and B. Or wait, am I saying that right? Yes, they have to feed into a different orcs than the ones that your A and B feed into. And the rationale for this is a few few points. Point one is that what we have right now on the West Coast is a couple of like these these huge massive powerhouse programs that then create a ton of open bids and make it impossible for teams within their regionals to make it out because they're competing with two to three, you know, two, you know, two UCLA teams, two UC Berkeley teams, a Stanford team, and it becomes impossible for them to make it. And by sending out their D, E, and F teams or however many, it then hopefully exports a little bit of that like power to other feeders that go to different orcs that are then going to make the West Coast regionals a little bit easier and more manageable without those teams and without them eating up bids. Um, and I feel like while like obviously we have like geographic limitations, my thought is kind of if you have the resources to field four plus teams, you probably have the resources to send one of those teams um, on a flight somewhere else. So I don't know, just a thought and maybe people like it, maybe they don't. I don't know. I just kind of it's our last formal episode, and I'm going to just throw all my thoughts out there. And <laughs> what are they going to do? Cancel cool. us? <laughs> I know, right? What are you going to do? <laughs> no, it, it, it's it's an interesting. It's definitely a broader conversation about how AMTA allocates regionals and on all that stuff. And you know, we we've kind of memory hold the year with nine orcs, but like that year was so interesting in terms of how it impacted everything before it and everything after it. And and there is definitely like these clusters of power. Um, you see it at the law school level too, right? Where like we're we're hosting our our um, NTC, which is the national trial competition, which is one of the two sort of AMTA style regionals to nationals competitions. And our region is is brutal, and every region is tough. But like like some of these regions where these power teams are clustered can be so so difficult to you know to get a team or two through. So. Drew, that's pretty much my thoughts on the season. Do you have anything else on sort of the season and results before we kind of move into our our final broader topic? No, I think that we've we've mostly covered what what I wanted to talk about. I mean, again, there we we haven't done an episode in a little while, so we could talk about every single uh, <laughs> invitational result that has happened between um, the whole season starting. And I, we don't have time to do that. We're not going to do that. Um, so I, I think let's go ahead and move on to to our broader combo. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I mean, it, you know, like like you said at the beginning of the episode, this is not we're not going to be going through and reviewing every single invitational, um, although it is cool that I mean, I'm just looking at there are a lot of invitationals this year, which is a, a very cool thing to see us pretty much fully back to a normal schedule. Wait, actually, I'm so sorry. I This is what I will yeah, briefly no, say. I, 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 I apologize. I I was trying to go through my head. I'm like, was there anything else I want to talk about? And there is. Um, so. In kind of a, a hilarious form, um, with, with Ben, with you, uh, no longer being involved in hosting the Owings Mills regionals, um, co-hosting with, with Stevenson, of course, um, that, that left a vacuum. And I, I felt that it was important that the, the mock review co-hosts, um, even in our final year, 
still be represented in in the regional sites. And so um, Haverford actually has stepped up and is is hosting a regional this year for the first time. And I wanted to really quickly talk about like why and what that process was. And I'm not going to get into all the details of it, but just to all the programs out there that that maybe have gone through something similar, um, Haverford got their budget absolutely slashed, like literally a quarter of what they were expecting it was. And I think that a lot of colleges, from my understanding, I think, Ben, you, you've said that UMBC has also had, you know, trouble with their budget. Um, I know Tulane has had a lot of budget cuts. Um, it's been tough. It's been a really hard year. And the team was in a really awkward spot where they were like, what on earth do we do? And they came to myself and a bunch of the other alums and were like, what, you know, please send us money, but also like, y'all don't have enough money to make a real difference, um, which we don't. Uh, and, and so we, we, myself and some of the other alums kind of agreed that we thought a good way to, to help out was to, to run a regional for them. Um, and so that's why that's happening now. And I mean, again, it, it's also this wonderful group of, of leaders that are currently at Haverford that, that said, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll go to an earlier regional and we'll help run it. So there, I mean, it's, it's going to happen and I'm, beyond proud of them for stepping up and doing this, but it's just, it, it is really tough. And I think that to everyone out there that is hurting for money and, and trying to figure it out, just know that you're not alone. I mean, this is a, a resource intensive activity and those resources are rarely allocated um, fairly and definitely not uniformly across all schools. And so I just wanted to like mention that to everyone and, and encourage teams that are struggling financially, just, you know, keep on keeping on, do all the crazy things that you have to, to make it happen. Because while it does suck when you get your budget cut, the only thing sweeter is getting our budget cut and then getting third at Gampty. So that's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that before we move on, because you are correct that UMBC is, is having a very, very difficult budget time. Um, that is all I will say on that topic because I've gotten myself in trouble before for being snarky on Maine and I'm not going to do that again. But, uh, yeah, UMBC has made some choices and, and it has resulted in some significant budget challenges for our team. Um, especially a very young, uh, team as a lot of our seniors graduated over the last couple of years. So, um, it is, even though I'm not the coach of UMBC anymore, I'm never there, you know, our team, my program, I'm never not going to be able to describe it that way. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, right? Like I know how much it sucks, uh, to be in that situation. The other thing I would say about that is don't hesitate to put the word out to the broader community, right? It's not that you're going to be able to get thousands and thousands of dollars, but I know for a fact that there are people out there who quietly give money, you know, coaches and board members and stuff like that who see those fundraisers and will anonymously drop a hundred bucks in or something like that. It's, it's happened to us. I've seen it happen to other programs. So like, you know, we're a community and like, just, I remember, uh, and I, and I apologize, I'm blanking on their name, but we had the student on, um, and Spencer, was it Irvine? Um, remember we had, oh, the interview? no, um, um, Pomona, I think, oh, oh God. Man. All right. Well, well, I hate that we don't remember. It was yeah, one of the West Coast schools. It was one of the California yeah, schools. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll, you know, I'll go in, go back in afterwards once we can look oh it up. God. And you just you put know, me on the spot. 
uh no look i don't you know look i'm gonna keep talking and you can go back and look it up really quick and i'll finish up this thought but um in all seriousness like this community uh is big and broad and we try our best to support each other so like budget challenges i know especially post covid right we all used less money when we were on zoom and then we came back and we need way more and the university's like wait a second why do you need this money you know we want to have more pizza parties um sorry i said it wouldn't be snarky i'm gonna try not to be snarky um pizza parties are great uh and so you know teams out there that are that are struggling with that i I, we really empathize with you because we know that that can be really difficult um, I totally remembered this, and I definitely didn't just spend the time Ben was talking, looking it up. And of course, it was Cal Poly Slow. Oh, yeah. I actually adore that program and like am mortified that it took me a second to remember. But yeah, Cal Poly Slow, they were wonderful, and yes. we were really happy to to mention that. And and yeah, yeah, yes, thank you anyway. for bringing that up. And we're not going to edit that out because we are professionals who will admit <laughs> when we made a mistake. And also, that would be a lot of editing, and it's our final episode. Um, so, but in all seriousness, we did actually really enjoy uh having cal poly on and, and talking about them you know and, and and the budget challenges that they were facing uh drew anything else or can we kind of move no, to let's, our last topic? let's do it let's do it okay so uh as we kind of wrap up this episode i just wanted to chat for a minute about amped as a whole and and the mock trial community as a whole drew and i have talked about this a lot off mics um we've talked to many many people throughout the community uh about it and, and i think we're in a really interesting crossroads when it comes to where AMTA is right now uh, so just to kind of kick this off, Drew, one of the interesting things that's happened since we last recorded and since we've kind of been active, right, is AMTA had its board meeting. We usually do our board meeting episodes and we just didn't get a chance to do one this year. Um, and or did we do one? Well, we did. We didn't. We, did, we, we did the pre. Uh, we did the pre. We didn't do after. Yeah, yeah. OK, but they didn't. So the, the actual events at the board meeting this year were not that significant. Like like the I would say of the last couple of years, this was probably the least substantive board meeting in terms of like major changes that were made or were proposed or things like that. But, you know, when we started doing this podcast, we started covering the board meeting. We started to see progress when it came to transparency in the board meeting, right? That, you know, I went to the board meeting for a couple of years. We got to chat with him to presidents about what happened at the board meeting. Will, uh, when he was president, let me record his opening remarks and we put him on the show way early on. Um, and then during the Zoom year that they that it was online, they, they live streamed it. And then last year, not this not this past summer, but the summer before when it was out in San Diego, they they live streamed it as well. Um, and then this year, they just stopped trying at all. Um, we didn't get a live stream. We didn't get a uh, live tweeting of any sort, like the bare minimum. Uh, we didn't even really get minutes until several weeks after they would normally be posted um it just was was a really lousy lack of effort from amta at transparency and and it bummed me out because i thought we were making progress on this front i mean those of you who've been listening for many years know this is this is my soapbox that like these meetings should be live streamed and the live stream should be archived and it should be available for anyone to go and watch. And if you have a problem with that, don't say things at the board meeting that you don't want people to be able to listen to. And it's just weird. And I'm not trying to make personal attacks toward anyone's on the board, anyone on the board. I know it's a hard job. I know it's a thankless job in many ways. And I don't think anyone's a bad person for not live streaming the board meeting, but I just think it was a shitty move to just not make any effort whatsoever to share what happened at the board meeting and like I've said before, it makes people think 
that nefarious things happen. And then you go to the board meeting and you're like, oh, nothing nefarious happens here. This is just a bunch of people like me who like mock trial talking about mock trial. But when you don't make that clear, people start to actually believe some of the wild things that come out there about like what people are doing behind the scenes. So I, I have some broader thoughts on AMTA, but but I just, I don't know, man, I was bummed out by that. Like genuinely, because it's such an easy thing in today's day and age to just pop a webcam on and throw up a live stream. It's so easy. And like, we didn't even do that. And I just don't understand why. Well, what's wild about it is that they had done it before. Right. They, they did it the previous year. They proved to us that it was something they were capable of doing, something they were willing to do, something that people really enjoyed. I yeah. know I did. And it is just, it is very odd why they would stop doing it. And I'll say this, I, look, if it was a completely closed meeting, I would not like that, but I would understand. Okay. I mean, they have executive board as a closed session. I think that's a problem. I don't think it should be, but whatever you do you, but it's not, it is publicly accessible. There are guests that came that were there this year. I know a lot of them. I don't, understand why you would say oh if you have the financial means or if you happen to be in the area thumbs up come on down we'd love to have you if not sucks to be you like that's just like how like we live in the day and age where like we acknowledge that things can be done over zoom you can find out about information without physically being present there like i, I just it is truly wild that they had created the institutional means to do this, the expectation in myself and others that it was going to continue to happen and then just stopped as if they didn't need to, as if they weren't required to. And look, I, this is not a new thing that Ben and I are just talking about for the first time. <laughs> We've obviously been passionate about this for a while and talked about it on the podcast a lot. I want to be clear, like Ben and I both have been very careful about trying to be like at least somewhat neutral-ish. Diplomatic. About, di diplomatic. Diplomatic is a way better word. We try to be diplomatic as possible. I uh, I know a lot of members of the board. I adore them as individual people. I think that they are all wonderful. They give a ton of their time and I'm grateful to that. It's not at all a knock on any of those people or those friendships that I have. Yeah. But I don't understand why they have this like bizarrely adversarial relationship with the students that they are meant and the audience that they're meant to serve. And I, I, that is just the only way that I can look at this. And I, it, I have felt that way ever since I have first really learned about AMTA and it is just really upsetting and frustrating to see it continue to perpetuate. And I, have said it once and I'll say it again. I expect more of them. And I think that the excuse that they are volunteers, while that makes them wonderful people in my eyes, it does not absolve them of obligations or responsibilities to the community. And I, I just, it is deeply, deeply frustrating to see us not stopping progress, but actually regressing. And it is, it's something that I hope AMP is ashamed of that decision. Um, and I, I'm really disappointed in them that they decided to do that. And I think that because this is our last formal episode, I'm, you know, I, I want to maintain that diplomatic air a little bit and not say more than that, but I just, 
it's frustrating. It really, really is. And it makes no sense. So yeah. it's just disappointing. And here's the thing. One thing we should make clear, right, is that the diplomatic approach doesn't come from like, you know, oh, we actually think these are bad people and we don't want to say no, it. No, we wanna, no. Like, it reflects a genuine belief. I, I speak for me, but I think you agree with me here, Drew, like that that the overall majority of members of the board are 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 good people. Many of them are people like you mentioned that we know and that we like and that we get along with and, and that want good things for members of the community. Right. Like this is not some conspiracy theory thing where like what we actually believe is they all suck or it's not like Absolutely that at all. Not. It, it's it's this reality of like <laughs> I would crit I would characterize what we do on this podcast as like very gentle criticism, right? Like that we are careful to respect people's humanity, to see people as human beings while also trying to be honest and transparent. At times that has pissed people off and that's their prerogative, right? I have, I've had people who've gotten pretty pissed at me over things I've said on the podcast and that's their, their right to do so. And there are people who've gotten pissed at me that I still have a good relationship with and that's fine. Um, but I think what is so frustrating to me about this thing is like, we are not, in my opinion, right? We are not moving forward as an organization. And I think we have this incredibly broad, this massive community, and it all gets boiled down to the board of directors, which is sort of an unelected, non-representative, very white very male board. I do want to pause here and represent that our president-elect is a woman of color, Jacinth Sohi, who is wonderful, and that is a fantastic thing, and like, great, like, truly, no no sarcasm whatsoever, genuinely a great thing that we have a woman of color coming in to be president. I, I like, I'm thrilled about that. I really am. But overall, the board is white and male, and it's not getting any less on either of those two things. It's also pretty much up against its size limits right now. Last I counted, it's pretty close to 40, which is the the limit that's set in the bylaws right now. And look, I'm sorry, but it's time for some people to retire off that board. Some people who have been on there for a while and say good things at the board meeting, but like we need an infusion. If the board is going to continue in its current form, we need an infusion of young voices who are diverse both in background in race in being members of the lgbt community in in just the experiences they've had in mock trial and if we're going to make progress on some of these areas related to transparency and also just related to serving our community our leadership needs to be representative of our community and i don't believe it is right now yeah i i couldn't agree more i mean i think that it, it's it's just unfortunate and to your point about it being unelected like I don't know. I mean, I, I, there's no way they would ever do this because why would they relinquish power? But like, I don't, I, I think it'd be really cool if instead of this closed door vote at the board meeting that no one knows about because it's not live streamed or, or live tweeted or anything. Um, I feel like they could very easily send each AMTA program, uh, a, a, whether it's a Google form or a video link. Or frankly, they could put them all in a Zoom call. Um, and you could have an election and you could have every single program get a say in, at the bare minimum in who the president is. There could be two people, there could be three, whatever, how many people want to run. Um, but you could give the teams an actual voice. Um, I think that the, you know, again, there are steps that we've taken. You know, there's a student advisory board now. I, you know, 
I think that a lot of the people that have been on the student advisory board have gone on to get involved in committees and, and keep involved in AMTA. And that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think those things are, are great and we should continue to do those things. I would like to see the student advisory board be empowered a lot more than they currently are and be given much more of a seat at the table than they currently have. Um, but I, we're not trying to say that no progress ever exists. Nothing ever good ever happens. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely not. I think that this is just a particular example of them making a positive step, making the most, the, the board meeting before this one, um, live streamed, having tons of people get to participate in it, um, that would never have gotten to otherwise. And it's just the regression that we're like, why? What, what is going on that you would possibly want to do that? What, what's so bad that happened that we would want to revert back? I, I, it really is unfathomable to me and I will never understand it. And I really agree with what you said that look, you know, we, I said it at the very beginning, like we're, we're stepping aside. We recognize neither of us are as involved with this activity as we wish we could be, um, or, or as we had been. And, and some things are better done by people that are fresher and newer and have, you know, more invested in it. And I just think that that might be true as well. And I, I couldn't agree more. I would love to see, um, us start to see some turnover on the board and, and start to see some, some new faces join in, um, that might be able to provide some, some helpful, uh, you know, fresh ideas. I think that that, that could never hurt. And I would be excited to see that start to happen. Um, but. You know, I, 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 again, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, frankly, because there's very little pressure on them to do so. And that's unfortunate. And I, I guess the last thing I'll just say is, um, having been in the law school circuit, I, I do want to quickly comment that like, I think AMTA, I want to, I want to commend AMTA on a few things. AMTA is by far the best case writing committee that I'm aware of. I, you know, I, Tyla, AAJ are, are garbage. Um, AMTA is by far the best organized in terms of having a, uh, you know, putting a lot of thought into how they form their regionals, how those regionals feed into orcs. Like all the organizational levels are tremendously better. I, I don't for a second think that, that Tyler or AAJ or really any other organization holds a candle to it. That being said, AMTA has chosen to take on a role that basically has a lot of power over over every single college team that wants to participate in mock trial. Um, AMTA holds the ability to sanction teams to cut them out entirely of participating in mock trial. Um, they they have exerted a lot of power in recent years over individuals. Um, and I just want to say that if they choose to take on that role. I think it's important that when you take on that type of power, you also take on certain accountability measures. The fact that there is no accountability measure at the moment for the board for when they overstep, to me, is a problem. To me, that's really upsetting. And I don't think there's a solution that I can come up with outside of the board recognizing that problem and taking the initiative themselves to abdicate some of that power. And I, I hope that if they're listening to this, that they deeply consider um, what they can do to be better and to be more accountable. Um, I think that the fact that we saw the board meeting go from uh, something that was live streamed to something that 
isn't even being live tweeted um, shows me that, that that's not happening anytime soon. And that will continue to frustrate and disappoint me. Yeah. No, I, I, first of all, your, your commendation towards Anton, I couldn't agree with you more, right? Like I, it is my full-time job now to work at the law school level. And while there has been meaningful progress in some of these national organizations at the law school level, that progress has come from basically like blunt force, like anger from the broader community towards these entities that run these tournaments and even then they're still way behind amta in terms of quality transparency how they run their tournaments god the notion of getting your ballots immediately after the round when i suggest that to law school people it's like i suggested you know like burning their house down like it's a tab summary what is that no right like we got a tab summary this year and my law school students were like what is this and i'm like this is transparency it's not that hard um, and so that's exactly it. It's, it's like we do so well in certain areas. There's no reason that we can't do better in other areas. And the last thing that I will mention on this topic, right? Cause it's so easy to, and I think we do a pretty good job of not falling into this trap, but I think occasionally we and others can do this, right? Where we say like, well, like, you know, they're, they should do this and they should do, they should be more transparent. And it's like, well, what tangible things do you want AMTA to do? And so my answer to that question is I want AMTA to get some of the older, whiter perspectives off of the board and replace them with younger queer people and people of color who have had a different experience in mock trial, right? And women, who, by the way. Yes, yeah. right. Of, absolutely. Yes. Women of color, uh, queer women, uh, just women generally. Absolutely. Thank you for, for that as well. That was meant to be implied, but, but I should say it explicitly. And, People who have had that judge look over their glasses and say, oh, I thought you were being a little aggressive when they, you know, were talking 20% quieter than the white man on the other side of the room. People who have been misgendered and had the judge scoff at them when they when they correct the judge or, or things like that. Like that perspective can't just be like part of how we make our decisions. It needs to be in our decisions because those people experience this activity differently from how we do. And if we don't not just like listen to them, but let like people who represent not just white men actively participate in making our decisions, our organization will get better. Our case writing will get better. Our judge training, which is woefully inadequate, will get better. And we will just as an organization be guided more effectively into the future and, and, and not make some of the mistakes that I think we've made, uh, you know, in terms of case writing, in terms of organization, in terms of judge recruitment and accountability and things like that. So I'm not saying, and we've made this point clear, right? That anyone's doing anything on purpose. Nobody is purposely being like, I don't care about this, right? But we've got to be more uh, aware of what we're doing and how we're doing it and who we're including in this process because it's going to be what carries this organization into the future. Um and yeah, like, I think that's basically it. I, you know, we, there's so many other things related to transparency. We haven't talked about transparency on sanctions. We haven't talked about transparency on like where teams are sent and all these other things. But Ben, have you thought about the fact that they changed scores in a national, cha- in the, at the national tournament and they still have not posted why? Yeah. yeah. Like that's crazy. Yeah. That's and insane. they changed the makeup of the national field. And without telling us why without it's telling a, us why the only reason we know why is because people told us in our discord like, like that is just insane that yeah. we are okay with that yeah no it it it, it you know it's kind of wild obviously we haven't 
spoken on recording in a while, but like that it took us an hour to get to it because there's so much else to talk about. But like it is it appears to be a violation of AMTA rules from what I can tell. I think that because a lot of the language writ was written for the CRC that there's this conclusion that some oh, of these CIs doesn't apply or something. But I'm like, there is Jeez. an AMTA rule that says when a sanction is issued, AMTA must within like a reasonable length of time, which I think you can safely say has passed, like publicly acknowledge it and they still haven't. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know why they're, but it's just bizarre. And I don't want to sound overly negative here because there are a lot of good things, but I agree with, with what you were just saying. Yeah. Well, on, on maybe a, a lighter, and happier note. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to quickly shout out something that, that happened pretty recently. Um, and, and I think in the spirit of, you know, positive developments, I think this definitely falls into that category. So, um, for those of you that, that haven't heard about this or maybe heard it talked about and had no idea what it was, um, there recently was an Instagram account made as well as, I mean, this is an Instagram account made by a group that is serious about what they're doing. Um, called the gauntlet and what the gauntlet is is essentially a witness competition in many ways kind of the witness version witness only version of trial by combat that will be an independent kind of one-on-one -on -one competition that'll happen this summer um, in which the top witnesses around the country will go you know essentially head-to-head -head for the crown of who is the best witness in AMTA. Um, let me just start by saying that I think that is a wonderful idea. I think it is so cool. I think witnesses are so often just not recognized the same way that we recognize attorneys. I mean, you don't have to look far to look at trial by combat and see the the disproportionate way that we score attorneys from witnesses. And, you know, we've shared our thoughts on that before, but I think it's really cool that this competition is going to exist. Um, I'm really excited about it. I'm excited to hear um, how it's all going to work and, and just learn more about it. But um, you, know, you, you can go ahead and apply um, if you want. I think that they are accepting applications now. They've actually uh, announced who their judge uh, basically decision committee is on who, which witnesses will make it. Um, I, my understanding is you're going to submit a, some form of a video submission and these five individuals will be watching it and reviewing it. And I think when you, again, this is coming from their Instagram page, but when you look at who these five people are, I kind of was like, wow, I mean, you couldn't have chosen five more star studded and an impressive group um, to be making these selections. And I, I appreciate that they're actually posting that. I think it's a, a good lesson in transparency of like, you know, trial by combat could be um, uh, giving the, I, I think that in fairness, that's just kind of Justin and maybe Phil and kind of them doing their thing but yeah. either way um i think it's cool that they're announcing this they're letting everyone know um and i'll quickly just shout out the five people are uh the first post that was made was for travis harper uh then brandon benjamin then ria lakaraju then sam jahangir and then finally india mabry maybe yes, maybe five amazing amazing individuals um a lot of a kind of a mix of uh more recent uh stars with some more experienced members that are a little bit on the uh, that have coached and been more involved in that side. Um, I, I, I'm just elated to, to see that this is happening and excited to hear how it all goes. And like I said, I mean, you, you're not going to get much more impressive, um, people deciding who should be on the, in this witness competition than those five. So definitely exciting. Um, Ben, I'll, I'll kind of toss it to you. Any thoughts on, 
on the gauntlet and and uh, what exactly it's all going to look like. Yeah, I think it's really cool. I mean, that is you'd be hard pressed to assemble a more impressive group of five. I love that they have um, like a broad range of people involved in making the decision. I think it's going to feel a little bit more, uh, you know, to use our buzzword of the episode transparent. I, and I think it'll be really cool. So look, I, you know, I've heard variations on this, um, you know, the saying over the years that like, you know, good attorneys win ballots, but great witnesses win tournaments. And it's true. Like, you know, teams that win championships and that win high end tournaments always have great attorneys, but so do most teams at, at, at high end tournaments. It's the witnesses that often separate the really good teams from the elite teams. Um, and so witnesses have been long overdue to get their recognition in this activity. Um, and I think that something like this could be really cool. A lot of interesting things to work out in terms of, okay, how does this work logistically? Uh, I assume you'll maybe bring an attorney with you or something. Who knows? Maybe we'll surprise people next summer, hop back on the mics with friend of the pod, <laughs> Sam, and and talk about how it's all going to work. But I think it's super cool. And look, at the end of the day, it's it's more mock trial. And and I, if I can speak for both of us, we're never going to complain about having more mock trial. So I think absolutely it's not. And you know, in that vein, uh, you know, I, there have been so many developments recently. The the community college clash. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the addition of the rookie rumble yeah, becoming sure. more of a savage. I mean, uh, it, it, to this point about improvements, and I, I'm glad that we're kind of ending on this lighter note. There are so, there's more mock trial happening. We're making mock trial accessible to more people. We're getting more people exposed to this activity. And that is, at the end of the day is the most important and best thing we could be doing. And I am proud to be a part of this activity that we are making those attempts, that we are trying to be more inclusive. Even if we're not there yet, the fact that we are moving in the right direction is important. It matters, and it's really, really cool to see. So uh, for all of you that have somehow listened to us for the entire hour and whatever change minutes this has been, um, if you've taken this much time out of your winter break to listen to us talk about mock trial, you've spent enough time that it's worth applying. Um, go for it try to get on the gauntlet and we hope to be talking about you this summer for sure. Yeah. And, and to wrap us up here, I want to just share a couple of, of numbers as we, as we wind this episode down. So while you were talking that last little bit, I logged into our podcast administration, uh, our podcast hosting server. This is going to make me cry, isn't it? No, no. No, so I just wanted to say that, so um, I'm going to cite a number here. Now we had a, with our previous podcasting host that got bought by the one we use now, they had an incident where they lost some degree of, of numbers over the next couple, over a couple of months. So I think these numbers are a little low, but over the course of our podcast from 2018 to now, we've had over 73,000 total downloads of this podcast, um, which I think is, is just really incredible. Still to this day, um, our 2019 final round episode, uh, is the most downloaded with it's creeping up on 4,700 downloads followed closely by the episode two that we did with, uh, Nick Ramos and Danny Kunkel way back in the day. Um, but again, each of those numbers are a little bit low because we lost some figures. Um, so I guess I just wanted to wrap up and, and Drew, I'll obviously kick it to you before we finish to just say thank you to everyone. This podcast has been such a, such a joy to be a part of. I love this community. It has meant so much to my life. Um, I've met so many amazing people through mock trial and we'll continue to do that. I mean, it's, you know, it's my job, right? I, I somehow lucked into being a a full-time mock trial coach. So I, 
I love this community and, and I'm just really grateful to the podcast and, and I'll, I'll finalize it by saying, Drew, I'm really grateful to you because, you know, when I reached out to you about this idea, you might've thought it was a little crazy, but, but you, you went with it. And I think we created something pretty cool. I'm proud of the legacy that we've, we've left with the show. And I, and I hope that people feel like we've made a meaningful contribution to the community. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think that, uh, what is really crazy to me, uh, looking back on it all is just, I mean, we've now got, you know, Phil's YouTube, which is wonderful and amazing. And everyone should be watching that for, for more mock trial content. Yeah. Um, I know that they're, they're, you know, Justin has his law school, uh, podcast that he does. Um, I, I feel like the mock trial community just continues to grow and more and more people are getting involved in different ways. And that is just so cool and so exciting. And what I think is so special about this is that mock trial affects so many of our lives. I mean, not just in college, but I mean, I would not be going to law school if it wasn't for mock trial. There's a 0% chance that I would have done it. And I'm going to make my career out of this activity that I loved in college. My absolute closest friends are the friends I've made in mock trial. I mean, that's crazy. That's just like, I mean, as much as where you go to college, people talk about that kind of defining your future and, and, and what happens for you. But I think more so than any other activity you could ever do, mock trial defines who you are and what you're going to be. Um, just deciding to do it wherever you are or not. And there is no other activity that I think is like that. And I think that makes it hold a really special place in my heart. This community will never stop being important to me. And I think that that's why, um, even though the podcast is in an official capacity ending, I think that it's, it's hard for us to let go completely and say, we'll, you'll never hear from us again. <laughs> um, just because it, it, I don't think that that, that love I have for this activity is ever going to go away. And, uh, I'll, I'll, I echo everything you said, Ben. I'm so grateful to everyone. Uh, and, and just thank you all for, for listening. Apparently 74,000 <laughs> total times, um, which is just insane. Yeah. I think, uh, we talked about this before we started. I think this is our 93rd episode. Yeah. Um, it, it really has me at a loss for words and I'm just grateful for, for all of it really. Can't think of any better sentiment to end on. Um, thanks everyone for listening. Um, we hope to see many of you out at a tab room, you know, sometime soon. If you see us, please come up and say hi. I love chatting with people who listen to the podcast. Best of luck to everyone this season. Uh, we're really grateful to each of you out there. Uh, we hope that you all have a safe, wonderful holiday season. Um, and until we talk to you again, this has been the mock review with Ben and Drew.